0: Good evening. Good evening. The Paradise Valley. What a beautiful thought. We've just sung how much we long to be there, and surely we all meant it. Uh, one of my favorite songs is such a beautiful thought to spend an eternity with God and to think what the surroundings are going to be where all that we see is impacted by God. Uh, powerful thought, powerful song, wonderful opportunity to be together to worship. Again, uh, we welcome all of you that are guests. We're thankful that you're here. It's an encouragement to us. If you will be turning to Colossians, we won't have slides tonight. It's on 1045. That is in the Bible. That is in your pew if you need to borrow a Bible out of the rack there, 1045. We're continuing our mailbox series. We're studying through the letters that the apostles sent out throughout the New Testament. And this week, many of us will be reading the first and second chapter of Colossians. And so we'll bring out some things just out of the beginning of that. Before I do that, allow me to also remind you again of the marriage seminar that will be taking place in a couple of weekends entitled, I Still Do. Uh, Lonnie Jones will do a tremendous job at that. And what's most important is that he'll remind us of what God wants us to do hopefully we value our families and our marriages and hopefully we realize that there's no great marriage unless there's continual work and investment in it. And this weekend is a wonderful opportunity to invest in that. And so we want to encourage you uh, to plan on that. If you need information at the information center, you can pick up a brochure about it. And of course, if you have questions, feel free to ask. We'd love to uh, help you in any way that we could help you to come and be a part of that time. Also. Uh, IF YOU DID NOT READ THE LAST SUDAN LETTER, NEWSLETTER, THEY'RE ALL GOOD. BUT IT REALLY IS AMAZING IN THAT LETTER HOW You can see the fingerprints of God throughout that work that has brought various men and opportunities together. And I just want to encourage you, if you have not read that, be sure that you read uh, that particular one this week. And with that in mind, let's continue to pray for Don and for Daniel as they are continuing the work there uh, as they left last Sunday. And we'll be gone for a couple of weeks and let's continue to pray for them and for their success in that great work that is taking place in Sudan what we want is a life worth living. We want a life where we know we are fulfilling our purpose. There are several things that make us feel bad. I don't know anybody that says, I love to feel lonely. I don't know anybody that says, I love to feel worthless. I love to feel unfulfilled. But now let's reverse that and and ask, how, how do we feel connected? How do we find our purpose? How do we know if we breathe our last breath now, or if the Lord gave us several decades to live, how could we live knowing that when our life was over, that we have lived a life worth living? The book of Colossians is a beautiful, powerful study. If you look down at your Bible, you'll notice there's only four chapters. It's a very, very short letter that Paul wrote to the brethren at Colossae. Now, what's interesting about the book itself is that we also have a sister epistle, and it is the letter that was written to the brethren of Ephesus. As a matter of fact, we have 155 verses in Ephesians, 78, almost almost to to the verse, one half of the verses... In Ephesians Are repeated in some Very recognizable Format from Ephesians Over to Colossians 155 verses of Ephesians 78 of those verses Are in some way repeated In Colossians In other words There was a message that Paul wanted to write to the church at Ephesus and a very similar message that he wanted to write to the church at Colossae and yet both of those are recorded in scripture. I'm not saying those two letters trump any other writing because of the redundancy, but I'm just wanting you to realize if we're studying the word of God for all that it's worth, there must be some reason why two letters that are so similar are placed within the holy writ of the word of God. What's the Holy Spirit trying to tell us? He wants us to get this. What is it that he wants us to get? So we see this book itself, and it's very beautiful, short, concise book that's written probably to combat some of the heresy and false doctrine that, if they do not address it, very well could destroy the peace and the purity that this church already had. Now, as we talk about the church itself, it's interesting to note that, as far as we know, Paul never visited this church. Didn't establish it as far as we know. As a matter of fact, if you glance down your Bible at the first chapter in verse 7, you see Epaphras was apparently the man that was responsible for teaching them the gospel. And we do not know of him visiting this church, but isn't it interesting that he has such concern for it? You see there in verse 4 in the first chapter, he says, since we heard of your faith. You know, this morning we talked about the fact that Jesus Christ didn't have to hear about things. Jesus Christ walks. He amidst the lampstands. You see, no human being can do that. No human being can be two or three or multiple places at one time. Paul apparently never had been to Colossae, but you know what? He heard about their work, and he loved what they were about. And so he took the time to sit down and write this epistle to push them forward and to urge them to see how important the Christ Of the church is. Now I know that's a strange way to word it, but I'm doing it that way so maybe it'll help you remember. Ephesians is about the church of Christ, Colossae is about the Christ of the church. Both, as we've already pointed out, are very, very similar writings. It's just that the book of Ephesians seems to put more emphasis on the church, and Colossae, or Colossians, tends to put more emphasis on the Christ that owns the church. For example, many would say that one of the theme verses of Colossians is the second chapter And look at at verse 9 in in Colossians, the second chapter in verse 9. And think about the emphasis being Christ. And he's already done this in a wonderful way in the verses leading up to this. And then in verse 9 he says, For in him, talking about in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're not putting our faith in the miniature God. In other words, God, the father is the great God. And then we have this smaller God and he's God, the Christ. He says, no, no. All, all the fullness. You can't have more than full. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily is in Jesus Christ. These religions that teach that God created Jesus and Jesus was, some way, as a creation exalted to some point of a less than deity, is simply not biblical. And here is one of the great passages that that argues against that and shows us how important Christ is. Now, you remember the introduction just a few minutes ago we want a life worth living, we want a life of fulfillment. If we are connected to God, Christ, that is the fullness of the Godhead, notice verse 10, what that will do for us. And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principalities and power. We devote our life to Jesus Christ. And brethren, we get that right, we'll be complete. Everything we need, we will find in Jesus Christ. So we see the church. We see this, this epistle and we see some wonderful things that Paul was wanting them to gain about the Jesus that can give them the fullness, the satisfaction that they need to find What would that look like as we open up this book? Let's just scan some verses here. We see in verse one that Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother. So we see Paul and Timothy are are writing this, and they're writing verse two to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. And we have a a typical greeting, not to take away from the importance of it. and, And it's a beautiful greeting. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. How much all of us need grace, and we cannot have peace until we have the grace uh, of God in our lives. And so then we have verse three. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Praying always for you since we have heard of your faith. And I want to pause there for just a moment. And I want you to think about what we just read in three and four. Paul, what about these people with Colossae? We can say, I, I've only heard about them. Well, Paul, what do you do? And he writes in this letter, I have been praying always for you since I've heard of your faith. Can you honestly say you do that? Is there any congregation or group of Christians that you pray for regularly and yet you have never been there? You've never met them? You've never been on the location? You've never seen them? I confess to you that in my first half of life, I don't know if I was oblivious, but I kind of lived under the mindset that if I hadn't been there, you must not exist. And places became real once I visited them. Congregations became important once I visited with them. Ministries became, oh, we, we need to be praying for them now that I've put my eyes on you. Do you recognize how fervent we ought to be in prayer for Brazil and that young congregation there even though most of us have never been there but we've heard Ukraine most of us have never been there but we've heard parts of Latin America many of us have never been to but we've heard you see the point don't you i probably said to you before, the more I read Paul, the more I admire him, the more he becomes one of my heroes, great heroes. Here is a man that says, you know, I've never seen you, but I've heard about you. And ever since I've heard about you, I've been praying for you. I wanna be like Paul. I don't want to be so selfish that I live in such a small and enclosed world that if Mount Juliet's not doing it, if David Shannon hasn't been on the grounds there, let it go. Brethren, you and I are part of a kingdom that even on this earth, present day, right now, is probably greater than any of us can really imagine. If we had the ability right now to just know of all the good that has taken place in the Lord's church on this particular Lord's day, we would probably, we would just probably say, wow, I had no idea that there's that much good going on in the kingdom. And so I just want to learn from Paul tonight in verse 3. I want to be reminded of the fact I need to love the kingdom universally. I need to be praying about the kingdom. And I just need to be aware of the blessing that God has given us to be a part of His church. But I'd like for you to see this as we continue our reading in verse 4. There's something that He heard about them. And that is a part of what he prayed about. And so notice in verse 4 he says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. And I I know it's the middle of a sentence, but I'm going to pause there for a moment. These three fit well together together. In, in much of the writing throughout the New Testament. How many times, like for example, in Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians 13, several places. Of course, here we see faith, hope, and love. And those are beautiful. And notice Paul says, ever since I've heard of your faith, hope, and love, I have been praying for you. But I tell you, I never have appreciated those three together more than when I study what Paul says here in the letter of Colossians. Because he not only says, I was thankful to hear about your faith, hope, and love. He tells us what their faith is in and he tells us what they love and he tells us where their hope is laid up. And even though we can say, well, that's simple. No, it's not simple. Just like we studied this morning uh, at the church of Ephesus by the time he's writing in Revelation. Listen, they still had a lot of good work going on and they still had a lot of teaching of the truth going on but they had lost their first love. Notice again, What did Paul say that he he heard about and he was thankful for their faith? What? Their faith in Christ Jesus. Listen, our faith is not in ministries. Our faith is not in just the fact we can teach a system of beliefs that's true. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. And when we have our completeness, two and 10, When we have our completeness in Christ, Christ will teach us how to minister to other people. Christ will give us his truth and and we will love it and realize how important it is. But it's huge for me to pause right now and evaluate my own life. Where's my faith? Have I placed all of my faith in, in, in some kind of religion? Have I I placed all of my faith in in just some kind of of commandments? and, And I think in my mind, if I just do all of these things, I'm faithful. Or have I placed my faith in Jesus Christ who will point me back to all of those? It's important. Our relationship is to be with God. Out of all the ways he could describe what he wants from us, he wants to adopt us. He wants us to be family. He wants relationship. And that adoption can only be through what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so if we're gonna have that relationship, it has to come because we have faith in Jesus. But notice the love. He said, not only did you have faith in Christ, but you had love for all the saints. Now we're kind of back to that previous point. I love the saints at Mount Juliet. I can name a few other places that I love the saints. But do I really love all of the children of God? And isn't it wonderful that they had that kind of reputation? Paul said, I've never been there, but I've heard about you, I've heard about how you love all the saints. I hope that there's people in Bristol, Tennessee right now that that can honestly say I think that the children of God in Mount Juliet, they love us. I hope there's brethren in northern Kentucky that can say I know that the children of God in Mount Juliet, they love us. People in Brazil and Latin America and Greece and Sudan and and all of these places, can they say, Oh, they they love us? What the Lord wants, first and greatest commandments to love him, second is to love our neighbor as ourself. What Satan wants is he wants us not to love. The third thing that we see is about their faith. Look again at how he words this. This is really beautiful and powerful. In verse 5, he says, Because, I'm sorry, it's hope. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Notice how he talks about that hope, and he already says, It is laid up for you. Hope is what we know is going to come, even though we've not seen it. That's why it still is hope. And it's based upon the promises of God. And so we know because God says it, we believe it, and it's still to come, and we believe that it's going to happen just as sure as yesterday has already happened. And so he says, this hope, I want you to lay up this hope. Have you laid up that hope? Do you believe in Christ's return? And have you made investments toward Christ's return? Do you believe in the Paradise Valley? Do you believe in heaven? And have you laid up investments toward that heavenly home? Hold your finger here and drop over to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. In Hebrews, the sixth chapter, when I was trying to think as as I was writing this lesson, I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this hope. I came up with an illustration in my mind. And then after I came up with the illustration, it literally dawned on me. I said, well, kind of what I just made up in my mind really wasn't made up. It was Hebrews, the sixth chapter. And so I turned over, and let's just read this, and let's let the Hebrew writer not just illustrate it, let's let him further develop it for us. Think about this hope that that we're supposed to have that's already laid up in heaven in in verse 19. And by the way, this is why Paul appreciated the brethren at Colossae. They had done this. He says in in Hebrews 6 and 19, Hebrews 6 and 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and and steadfast and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us even Jesus having become the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The picture that he paints here is very unusual. It's really two things that nowhere else in the scripture would would we see these two things come together but when he brings them together it's just like a mental picture that It's really beautiful. I want you to think about an anchor, and and just kind of to paint the picture. Think about you being out in a boat, and I know this is a little bit different, but think about there being a shoreline, and you threw the anchor over to the shore, and you're holding the rope. And someone says, "What what are you doing?" Well, I've I've set my anchor over there, and I'm not over to that shore yet, but I'm going to pull my way. I've got this rope. I've got this hope. And and I'm going toward this hope. Now tell me again, where are you going? I'm going toward the anchor. What's the hope that we just read about in Hebrews 6? Where is the other end? You're holding on to the rope of hope. Where's the other end of that anchor of hope? He gives this picture where we've never seen an anchor there before. But he says, imagine the holy of holies. You walk into the temple. You're not allowed behind that curtain under the old covenant. You're not allowed around that curtain, but there is an anchor that's been cast around the curtain. Where? Into the presence of God. Your anchor is cast in the presence of God and you have this hope. You have this hope. What do you say? It's sure and steadfast. You're holding on to something that's sure and steadfast. The pillows of life roll. Things become uncertain and someone says, how do you just stay so calm? Well, I have this anchor that's cast into the presence of God. But now we're all invited. That's the beauty of the new covenant is Jesus Christ was that forerunner. The veil in the temple was rent wide open when Jesus died. And so now through Jesus, all of us can approach God. If you had to be honest right now, where is your anchor cast? Well, I tell you what, when things get rough, I just, I just rest in the fact that I've got a huge retirement built up and I hold onto that rope. Yeah. That's where I always go in my mind. I just make sure I've got... Well, I tell you what, I've worked for years and years and, and I've worked my way up to a high position at work and when things go bad, I just think about, I've, I've, got, I've got that position, it's gonna be okay. Even though these other things aren't okay, that's gonna be okay, I'm, I'm good. Brethren, where is your surety? Where is your steadfastness? Can you honestly say, I have a hope that that anchor has cast all the way into the presence of God? That's why Paul writing to the brethren at Colossae could say, you have a hope that's laid up in heaven. They know what they believe in. They know who they believe in, and they're living for that. What a beautiful, beautiful teaching. Someone says, I wish I could have that kind of faith. I wish I could have that kind of love. I wish I could have that kind of hope. I wonder where the people of Colossae got that. Well, I'm glad you asked that. Let's read the rest of this same sentence that we're reading. We're back now in Colossians 1, and we've read... And 4 and 5 about the faith, love, and hope, which is laid up for you in heaven. And let's read the rest of verse 5. That's laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before. And notice this this three times, uh, this emphasis with three different words describing the same uh, word of God. Before you've heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? Where, Where did this faith and love and hope come from? Paul says, I know where where it came from. You developed that whenever you heard the Word. For just a moment, and I know that in the first century, they could not hold a Bible the way we hold it, but if you'll just let me for just a moment so that we can communicate with each other, I I just want to call the Word of God the Bible. Can you imagine, out of all the ways that could be communicated, God chose the words to communicate. There's a lot of other ways to communicate. Right now I could point to the back of the room and many of you might turn and look. But you know, if I pointed and I said, we want to recognize a guest that we have in, in uh, the, the, the auditorium, we, we want to welcome John Kennedy here. I've just done a lot more with a few words than pointing a finger. I communicated one way, but you know what words do? They communicate with accuracy and clarity. Words can communicate so much more. God chose words to communicate to us. And what words did he choose? He chose words of truth. Everything that God tells us, we can bank on it. We can invest our life and our soul upon it. Everything that God tells us is true. But now think about this. There can be words of truth, but that next one is huge. Words of truth of gospel. The word gospel means good news. God's words of truth are beautiful. They're words of good news. The good news about with the pitiful condition we're in of sin, we need a Savior. And God says, let me tell you how much I love you. Let me tell you about the Savior that that has died for you. Let me tell you about the grace that's being offered. Let me tell you how you can respond to that. Let me tell you about this plan of salvation that I have. Let me tell you about my church that I own, that I want you to be a part of. Because that church is going to be delivered before God for an eternity. All of this is good news. Even when God tells us not to do things, He is trying to protect us. Those things are even items of good news. They had a life of faith and of love and of hope, and it was produced because they read the word of truth of the gospel. Let's read the rest in verse six. The sentence continues which has come to you as it has also in the world. You see, he's saying, it's the same gospel that came to you. It's the same gospel that went to the world. Remember the great commission? Go into all the world and preach what? the gospel. And so that's what Paul is talking about. He says, we've been given this commission to go into all the world. We are going to the world, but also, of course, we came to Colossae, he's saying. And what is it doing? It's bringing forth fruit. We just studied about some of that fruit and and faith, love, and hope. And he says, and it is also you since the day you heard and knew that the grace of God in truth. And then he gives Epaphras credit for being their faithful minister and declaring the spirit. And What I'd like to do, simply because a few months ago, we studied so much about wisdom. And and I want to close by just reading one verse and not even developing the paragraph. But I just want you to see this. Remember we talked about the wisdom that we look throughout the scriptures. It's not that we see all three every time. But so oftentimes when we see godly wisdom, we see something about the knowledge of God. We see something about proper and godly understanding. And we see something about discretion, being able to make decisions based upon what God's will is and understanding situations around us. I want you to notice here as we read verse 9 he says, for this reason we also since the day we heard it do not cease to pray for you. And what he's going to pray is for them to have wisdom. Notice how he says it. We do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will In all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. And by the way, that walking worthy of the Lord, if we wanted to, we could say by application, that is the decision making. That is being able to say, I know what the knowledge of the will of God is. I have spiritual understanding of situations. And so I make decisions that I walk worthy of the Lord when I bring these together. And Paul says, that's my prayer for you. My prayer for you is that you'll be wise. Brethren, we can't be wise without godly knowledge, without a heart that is set upon understanding the things around us in a way that God would want us to understand them and then have a commitment and a faith that says, that's what I'm going to live. We want a life that is full. The only way that we can have a life that is full is we have to go to the one who is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This evening... I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to look for a life that's worth living. But make sure you go to the right source to receive it. If we can help you in any way this evening, we'd love to do so. We'd love to pray with you. If you want to be baptized into Christ, we'd love to to help and assist you in doing that. If we can help you, come as we stand.